In a little village perched in the hills of northeastern Italy, something rather unexpected is happening. An 82-year-old woman was there with her carer. She said, I've really come to help the scientists to understand what's going on. The first place to lock down in Europe, this little community was sealed off from the outside world when it was struck by one of the earliest outbreaks of coronavirus. And now, it's at the centre of a remarkable scientific experiment. They thought, look, this gives us an extraordinary opportunity to actually track how the disease works, how it moves through a population. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, could testing in an Italian village save the world? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Vaux is, is a village. It's a population of about 3,200 people. It's 30 miles or so west of Venice near Padua. It, it's like a lot of villages across northern Italy. Peter Conradi is Europe editor of the Sunday Times. It's not a particularly special, interesting kind of village at all. It's got a kind of a biggish square. It's got a few bars, a few restaurants. I mean, it's set in an amazing countryside. There are the hills that kind of sweep across northern Italy. It has become remarkable because of what happened there in February. A person from the village was diagnosed with COVID-19. And sadly, he was the first European actually to die of the virus. Once the, the case was discovered, the village was completely locked down. The people of Vaux would soon become the subject of an extraordinary experiment. But with a strict lockdown in place, Peter has had to adapt his reporting style. In normal times, I would have got an aeroplane, I would have flown to Venice, I would have rented a car, I would have driven there, and I would have walked around and I would have talked to everybody. These are obviously not normal times. I'm sitting in my office, locked down in Paris, and so I basically had to do it all by telephone. I, I spent an awful lot of time on Google Maps and on Google Street View. I was kind of virtually walking the streets of Vaux, <laughs> even though it's somewhere I've never been. In, in a way, it's not too alien an environment for me because I know northern Italy very well. I've been to a lot of other villages and, you know, there is a certain kind of pattern about the way they're organised, the way they operate, the way the sort of extended 
family networks kind of work and so on. How did this little village in the middle of northern Italy suddenly show one of the first European deaths from Covid? That is the mystery because the patient zero, as it were, Adriano Trevisan, he was a 77-year-old. He actually celebrated his 78th birthday in the midst of becoming infected. He was a former builder. During his working life, he'd kind of travelled around a little bit in northern Italy. But in retirement, he, he didn't really do, do anything very much. He didn't go on trips anywhere. He didn't go to church. He didn't play boccia, which is the kind of uh, bowls that is very popular there. His daily routine would be he'd walk from his home in the village to the bar, the Nuova Locanda, Al Sole, in the centre of village, play cards there. And that, well, that was, in, in a sense, all, all he did. I mean, it's the kind of thing, if you visit an Italian village, sometimes you see the the kind of the cafes with the, the old men sitting around making a coffee last all morning or making a glass of wine last all afternoon. He was, he was kind of one of them, I think, really. The death in Lombardy came hours after the COVID-19 claimed the life of the first European citizen in neighbouring Veneto region. As well as nine cases in the Veneto region. That's the region where that 78-year-old man is said to have died on Friday. No direct link has been established between him and China. We still don't know precisely how he became infected. That being said, the sort of finger of suspicion points at a football match which had been held on February the 9th, which was like 14 days before his diagnosis. A local derby between Milan and Inter, the two uh, Milanese teams, Ironically, he didn't actually like football very much at all. Oh, really? But he was in the bar that evening and it was, it was very, very packed. And the suspicion is that that's when he became infected. And then what happened to him? He began to feel not very well on the 13th. So that was four days or so afterwards. He had a fever. He had some beginnings of trouble breathing. These things which today one would probably think, ah, that must be covid but this was February and, and, and doctors in Europe had probably, most doctors never actually seen a case yet. His family called the GP. The GP said it sounded like flu, didn't seem terribly inclined to go and visit him. But about three days later, he was feeling much, much worse. And it was actually his birthday and the, the, his wife and daughter thought, you know, we can't continue like this. We'll take him to the hospital. So they took him to the nearest hospital, which was in a, another town about 12 miles or so away. They studied him for several days and they couldn't work out quite what was wrong with him. The doctor who was treating him wanted to give him a, a test for coronavirus, but she was overruled by the superiors because he hadn't been in contact with someone known to have been infected because he hadn't travelled to a, a coronavirus zone or anything like that. He didn't sort of satisfy the criteria. One of the doctors spoke to his wife and uh, said, well, you know, does he, does he travel? They were obviously wondering whether he'd picked up the disease during a trip to China or something like this. His wife laughed and said, you know, he, we, we didn't even go anywhere for our honeymoon, you know, let alone travel now. <laughs> so... You know, he was a very, very unlikely patient zero.
several days after he'd been admitted to the hospital. They finally agreed to test him for the virus. The results came back the next day, saying that he was positive, and a few hours later, he died. As the news of, of his death spreads around the village, what happens? I was speaking to one person in the village who said he'd seen on the evening news, the national evening news in Italy, that someone had been diagnosed with the virus and had died. And he suddenly realised at the end of the report that this was actually happening in their village. And he actually knew of Adriano Trevisan. So it was a kind of a, a bit of a shock for everyone, obviously. Then, very, very quickly, the village was, was shut down. Was there a sense of panic? I mean, what was that like? Because it must have been quite early in, in Italy and its problems with coronavirus. It must have been quite early in that whole process. Suddenly, they were told that this terrible, scary disease was in their midst, in the village. And suddenly, almost overnight, their village was sealed off. And so there was this sort of strange idea of being suddenly being told, right, that's it. You're sort of being turned into a kind of a plague village. You can't go out and uh, no one can come in and see you. But thankfully, the mayor of the village, a gentleman called Giuliano Martini, who also happens to be the local pharmacist, is a very kind of thoughtful, but also very decisive person. He immediately suspected the place where the disease had started or whether he'd become infected was a local bar called the Locanda di Sole in, in the heart of the village. And so that evening, it was a Friday evening in February, he closed down the bar immediately. The Prime Minister has announced an emergency plan. Towns in northern regions of Lombardy and Veneto have effectively been quarantined. Sporting events have been cancelled, businesses and schools shut, and thousands told to stay at home. It was then decided over the course of that weekend that Vaux, as well as another 10 villages in Lombardy, the region to the west, would be closed down and sealed off. So in a sense, it was a decision taken by the national government, ultimately. But it was then up to the mayor to implement it, to keep the village continuing to function, even though it was now effectively cut off from the outside world. Hello, I'm Barbara. I'm here in North Italy. I'm 20 kilometres far from the town Wall. In this video clip posted on YouTube by an Italian vlogger who lives near Vaux, she drives up to the outskirts of the town to see how it's locking down. Okay, so we are three kilometers from Vaux and uh, there are um, policemen here, carabinieri, and uh, they are blocking the whole road so you can't go forward. So I see some uh, people with camera, probably they are, they are um, recording the news. They just let through uh, a little van, probably is bringing medicines and stuff like this. It looks like they, they are checking him out. So it looks like they're letting through the guy. The scene looks like a war zone. But this military checkpoint is to keep the village safe, not from an invading army, but from an invading virus. There is no panic, which is really good, because that's one of the biggest problems, should be one of our biggest problems, the panic. Making sure that, that vital supplies came in and out. Ensuring, I think, that people stayed calm and they just sort of got, got on with their lives. How did Mayor Martini keep people calm when they've got the army sealing off every exit? Part of it was just 
dealing very, very patiently with all the questions that people had there. He was saying to me at one point, he was getting 300 to 400 phone calls a day, which is absolutely extraordinary, either in the, in the town hall or back in his pharmacy. I mean, he said it was like an avalanche coming down on him. But what happened very, very quickly, which brought a lot of clarity to the situation, was that they then decided to test the entire population. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So suddenly you have this one village, one tiny village, on a hill in the middle of Italy, it very rarely makes the news otherwise, completely sealed off from the rest of the world, which does make it the perfect Petri dish for analysing the virus. What happened next? Two things were happening simultaneously. One of them was the public health response. What can we do to stop this virus spreading? The sealing off of the village telling everybody basically to stay in their homes. The second thing that obviously needed to be established was how widespread is this virus? Who has got it? Who hasn't got it? The advantage of a small village, which is completely sealed off, is that you can then go in and you can actually test everybody. So that's what happened. The local health authorities came in and they tested the entire population of the village in order to establish who had actually got the virus. Then there was a second element, the scientific research side of it. 
And that was headed by a professor called Andrea Crisanti, who is from Veneto, in which Vaux lies, who for many years has been a professor at Imperial College in London. And he immediately saw in the lockdown enormous scientific potential because he thought, look, here we have a kind of a perfect controlled experiment. We have a village where we've got our 3,200 subjects, guinea pigs almost, I suppose. We can actually analyze them. Not only can we work out from a public health point of view who's been contaminated or not until to self-quarantine, but we can also look at who has actually been infected, to look at who's got symptoms, who hasn't got symptoms in terms of male and female, what kind of a breakdown there is there. We can break it down by age group. You know, they seem to offer all those possibilities. What was sort of particularly interesting, as far as they were concerned, is that they knew that the village was going to be locked down. They knew that it would continue for a certain amount of time to be locked down. But after a couple of weeks, when the lockdown was lifted because the whole of northern Italy was contaminated, they then decided to go back in a second time and to test everybody again. Now, this was something that, you know, from a public health point of view, wasn't required. But they thought, look, this gives us an extraordinary opportunity to actually track how the disease works, how it moves through a population. And so they did this second test and it allowed them to see the effect of quarantining, which has not been done in that comprehensive way anywhere else in the world. One of the Italian newspapers described what was happening in this village as a version of the Truman Show. But how did they feel about being guinea pigs in a scientific experiment? I was talking to Professor Merigliano from Padua University who was involved with organising the testing. And he was saying to me that he remembered the second time around when people came to be tested. Very, very early in the morning, an elderly woman, an 82-year-old woman, was there with her carer. And she was the first person to arrive. And he, he said, she said to me in the sort of the local dialect, which the elderly still speak there, she said, you know, I've really come to help the scientists to understand what's going on. It's very important to beat this bad illness, as she put it. They could see the uniqueness of their situation. And, you know, they, like everyone else, want this virus to be beaten. And they, they saw that they could actually play a part in it. What did the scientists find? The first time they tested, out of the 73 people that came out as positive, 30 of them had no symptoms whatsoever. That was something which I think has much broader implications because it, it tells us that an awful lot of people are infected and they don't realise they're infected. They're completely asymptomatic. They don't, they don't feel... Do they, do they feel ill at all? No, no, not at all. They, 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 you know, it comes as a complete surprise to them that they're actually carrying the virus and that they can actually infect other people. I suppose on the one hand, that's reassuring. As far as you're concerned, you've had the disease, you may acquire afterwards some degree of immunity, and you've suffered no ill effects whatsoever. But from the point of view of society as a whole, it's obviously... A disaster, because it means that you can unknowingly pass it on to all sorts of other people who may, unlike yourself, suffer all sorts of symptoms, possibly serious ones. It confirms 
that the countries, Britain among them, which have largely based their tests on people who've actually got symptoms for the virus are getting a completely distorted picture of where it is uh, and how widespread it is. Other findings, for me, one of the most interesting ones was that none of the children under 11 tested positive for the virus. Now, in the sample, there were 234 under 11s. And even though 13 of them lived in the same home as parents or, or elder brothers or sisters who were infected. Oh, wow. None of these 234 were infected. It wasn't just that they didn't have symptoms. They, they just were not infected at all. So by definition, couldn't pass it on. That's an extraordinary finding. You know, there have been differing findings in different places. But, you know, if it were replicated, it would mean that opening primary schools, which is obviously a very, very hot subject at the moment, yes. wouldn't be nearly as risky as uh, I think many teachers and parents fear it would be. And how easy is it to extrapolate from that sample? You know, I know we're hearing around the world that some children under 11 are getting it. Do scientists think this village is quite typical of the rest of Europe? It is dangerous to extrapolate too much. But on the other hand, the virtue of the sample here is that it is comprehensive. It isn't skewed by symptom. It isn't skewed by any other factor. It's essentially the entire population. Now, is there a particular peculiarity about this population? That's not clear at all. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. I mean, that's in a sense one of the, the more interesting things that they're going to explore in Vaux as a result of a, a third testing, which they did just over a week or so ago. They tested everyone again for a third time. I mean, we don't have the results of it yet, but that will again will be interesting as far as the spread of the virus is concerned. But for the first time also, they took blood samples from everybody to look at antibodies in the blood oh. and to prepare for what will be essentially a kind of a genetic analysis. They're in a situation where they have detailed health records of all the people that took part in the study. They've got three swab tests. They have now got blood tests armed with that information. And it's going to take a long time to process that information properly. But they can begin to perhaps look at why certain people appear to have got it more than other people, why when they did become infected, they suffered more symptoms than other people. You know, they can look at whether there is a a genetic link, which I think would be the most intriguing thing. And did it show differences in who suffers the most, you know, in terms of age or gender? What did scientists learn? Well, what they learned was that there is a very, very direct correlation between age and the way that the virus affects you. So the older you are, the more likely you are to get the virus, the more likely you are to suffer effects from it. What it also showed was women are far less likely to suffer serious symptoms than men are. Hmm. But it did show, which was a little bit of a surprise, I think, that women are nevertheless just as likely as men to contract the disease in the first place. Oh. So it shows that there is something you know, different about the female body, I suppose, or maybe the genetic structure, chromosomes, whatever, that makes women less likely to suffer illness as a result of it. So the symptoms are just not as bad. They're still just as likely to catch it, but 
it's less likely to lead to death, I guess? Then it's less likely to lead to serious illness as well. And what exactly are the scientists hoping to be able to establish at the end of this? In an ideal world, they would discover why does this virus affect different people in such a different way? How is it that, for example, you have two people that seem similarly healthy or of a similar age, have a similar kind of racial profile also? Why is it that one of them will get much more serious symptoms than the other person? You know, what, what is the reason for that? And the, I think the hope of some scientists is that it, it lies somewhere in the genes, a predisposition to do well or to do badly when our body is invaded by this virus. Can all of this sort of help in terms of finding a vaccine or a remedy of some sort? I think any study will contribute to the hunt for the vaccine. There are clearly countless studies going on in different parts of the world. I mean, none of them, to my knowledge, as complete, with such a complete cross-section of a community as this one. I think by showing how the disease moves, how it behaves, how different people are affected by it, that will certainly inform the hunt for a vaccine. V.O. is the name of the town. Forgive me, I don't speak Italian. Everybody who tested positive, they isolated them. Then after the period of isolation, they tested the whole town again. Anybody newly positive, again, isolated. Well, after having done that, after having done universal testing and universal isolation of all positive cases, they have now gone days with no new cases in that town. If only we could get a test for the fricking virus in this country, maybe we could even start to think about the implications of that. Is there a chance that this tiny, completely unlikely little village in the hills near Padua could end up solving the riddle of, of coronavirus for the world? It will provide a lot of insights, I think. I mean, there is already a, a kind of a draft scientific paper which has been posted by Andrea Crisanti, the virologist who's been leading the project. That's already there. It's getting, you know, all sorts of comments from other scientists, further questions and so on. So there will be an enormous amount of findings that will come out of the studies that have been done in Vaux. And I think the hope is that when they're all analysed, and that could take, you know, that could be quite a long process, particularly if you're looking at the kind of the genetic side of things. Even if it doesn't solve the riddle of coronavirus, it'll provide a lot of very, very useful insights. And is the village still quite cut off now? What's village life like at the moment? Well, I mean, village life is returning to normal in the same way that life in the rest of northern Italy or Italy as a whole is returning to normal. But there's still a sort of a, a slightly strange attitude, I suppose, to, to the outside world there because I remember when I was speaking to the mayor, he said that earlier that morning he'd heard a report that five cars with out-of-town number plates had driven into the village and were parked outside a house. He'd immediately sent the carabinieri, the police, to investigate. Really? And I said, well, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? Are you going to sort of throw them out of town or what's, what's the plan? And he said, no, 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 of course not. But we're just going to give them a little lecture and we're going to make sure that they behave in what he called an appropriate way. They're very, very conscious. I mean, as, as he put it, all you need is one person coming in and the whole thing can start up again. 
They've gone from a situation where they were sealed off by the army because they were seen as a hub of disease to suddenly being worried that the rest of the world will bring the virus in, whereas they're quite safe. The mayor said to me, today, Vaux is the safest place in the world. Because of all the testing. Exactly. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Peter Conradi, Europe editor of The Sunday Times. You can read more of Peter's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producers were Asia Fuchs, Will Rowe and Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Leo Hornack and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by James Shield. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you liked what you heard, please do leave us a review. You can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and more. And in these uncertain times, you can keep up to date and well informed on coronavirus and so much more with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe to find out more. See you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.